business end of the season across Europe and things are really starting to get interesting. I'm Dan Burke, this is the European Tour podcast brought to you by OneFootball and I'm joined in part one today by Joel Sanderson-Murray. Hello. Hello Joel, how are you doing? Yeah, good then. Can't complain, how about yourself? Very well, thank you, very well. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will uh, will be pretty used to hearing you and I talking about the Premier League, you know, Liverpool, Man City, all that stuff. But uh, but we're not going to be talking about that today. We're going to be talking about Spanish football. And we're going to start today by having a little chat about Real Madrid. Uh, they are 15 points ahead of Barcelona at the top of the table. I mean, won six consecutive matches. The league title is, is pretty much theirs. It's fair to say they, they responded pretty well to that thrashing in uh, El Clasico a few weeks ago, isn't it? Yeah, they certainly have, haven't they? And, um, when, obviously, when that went down, um, the embarrassment of it was, you know, finishing 4 0. And there, there were a fair few, those sort of, let's say, parts of the Real Madrid fan base who were, who were calling for Angelotti's head coming in yeah. the season. Um, which, <laughs> you know, does does happen with, you know, with that club from time to time that they do, re- do, do react in a certain way when they. I think don't tend to go to plan, um, and 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 yeah, and they tried. They weren't great that day, and um, and but the league still looked like they, you know they had enough of a, of a breakaway gap in, in uh, at the top of the table that it doesn't look like it's going to affect them that much, and and it hasn't, and uh, because they've gone on and you know won every game since, um, and that's including obviously in the Champions League as well, and and suddenly that picture looks a lot a lot nicer, doesn't it? You now semi final Champions League to look forward to, uh, you know the champagne is a bit on. Ice at the moment with regards to the title you know there's a lot of talk about them potentially winning the league this weekend mm. um, that can't happen now because Barcelona won it you know, against Real Sociedad last night but you know that, that seems to come and I, I do wonder you know they do have obviously the two Champions League ties with with your team Man City coming up Dan but they've mm. got Espanyol between that and uh, where you know they could end up winning the league but I wonder whether that part of them might just want to Wait until the eighth of May, where they you know they go to the Wanda and play Atletico Madrid, and maybe just hold off and try. Oh, and yeah, play. yeah. Or or they win the league against Espanyol, and suddenly they get to have um, a uh, you know a, a walk of honour that they do. Uh, <laughs> you know, Jan or Black and Co. giving them a giving them a guard of honour walk onto the pitch. I'm sure they'll love that. Yeah, I thought you were going to say they were, they'd have uh, they'd have a walk to Barcelona from the uh, Espanyol Stadium then, but uh, it's quite a long walk actually. Isn't it? And, uh, <laughs> You do, you do well, yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's looking very good for them at the moment. Uh, they've no game this weekend, have they? Because uh, of the the Copa del Rey final, so they're going to be fresh for that City game next week. Do I do I need to be quaking in my boots as a City fan about Real Madrid in the Champions League? Do you think? Um, I'm not sure quaking exactly, but I think <laughs> I, th- I think what they've shown, particularly with, the, with their last two games, is, you know. You know, they played. They played Sevilla, uh, and they were two 0 down at half time. Come back and win three two in the second half, and then the Osasuna in the game in, in midweek. Um, you know, they end up getting pegged back straight away after scoring in the first half, but do end up winning. And, and I think what you're, what you've seen they, the, the mentality of that team has sort of um, has transpired over from from those two results because you know Tony Cruz after the Sevilla game on Sunday posts on um, Twitter. Just you know, a, a photo of the team in the dressing room with, with the caption just said, literally read state air statement, yeah. and it was quite a sort of statement victory. That that was the one where you could see Real Madrid players believe they won the league um, already. But what that sort of transpires to, to to City and why City maybe should be, I mean, a little bit fierce. I mean, you in the Champions League semi final, the only good teams are going to be at this stage. But Real, although 
I would say the probably the third best team left in in the competition. You know, obviously City and Liverpool fight over for who's first and second, and let's not get into that now. <laughs> what Real do have in that competition is a sort of the prestige and holds that maybe the rest of the teams don't have, and, and obviously Liverpool fans can argue that they do have that bit as well. But there's something just happens to this team and this club when, when they're in this competition, and they're not the most talented team left, although they have got incredible players like Modric, Cruz and Benzema, but let's say they're all the sort of the wrong end of 30, but obviously still capable of um, displaying their talents, but they just got this belief and this and this character which just makes them think when, even when when they are down that they're still going to end up winning, and, and they've shown that in the PSG and, and Chelsea games this competition, and then that's a VA game, I mean I remember, you know, having a look at it 2-0 thinking, how much are they still going to win this game? Yeah. There's just they have about them and I think with, with City if City don't kill that off in the first leg which you know they, they might not because it's going to be close um, that second leg is going to be very tasty and, I, and maybe I wouldn't say you should be quaking your boots but um, I'd get on the edge of your seat then yeah. <laughs> oh I absolutely am yeah and uh, <laughs> Karim Benzema missing two penalties in that Osasuna game and them still winning 3-1 as well tells you what kind of form they're in really um, looking ahead to the summer now it's, it's you know it's been talked about for a while that, uh, that Real Madrid will be looking at killing Mbappe this summer apparently his his family are in Qatar for talks with PSG today that's the news today about a possible new contract so there's a lot of doubt about whether he'll end up at Real Madrid now it looks like Erling Haaland's destination is going to be Manchester City where do Real Madrid go from here do they need that Galactico signing this summer to take them to the next level do you think there needs to be a sort of um a next step in this sort of evolution. I mean, we've spoken on a previous podcast about their midfield, you know, and obviously I've just mentioned about Modric and Krils being sort of at the, the wrong end of 30, but their midfield looks like there is elements of that is sort of move evolving with, um, with uh, Valverde and uh, um, Camavinga coming through and, and proving that they can do it in the Champions League. But when you look at their attack, there's, you know, Vinicius has obviously got years ahead of him and Rodrigo's proven that Moran has all his talents recently. But they do need that sort of next marksman to replace Benzema or, or to combat Benzema while he's still here, but to sort of take them onto that next step. And and it's, it's, it's not that they necessarily need, I, I would say, this massive Galactico. It, it, it's always been about Again, Kylian Mbappe, and they believed that he was going to end up there from the day he left Monaco, the day he sort of set, set foot in Monaco, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, for that not to happen now might end up being embarrassing for for some places in Madrid and, and some newspapers in Madrid, should we say, because um, they've been at, you know, I think that they, they report on Mbappe almost every day. Uh, <laughs> it's just been assumed that it is going to end up happening. And I think you'll still be surprised, and the majority of people listening to this will be surprised that still doesn't end up happening. But um, the, the longer it goes on, and, and nothing gets sort of announced, or nothing gets sort of reported that you know something's been signed uh, and will be announced in the summer, then you, you do start to, sort of to worry. And where do they turn to if they don't end up getting him? I mean, <laughs> I mean there's a couple of boys in that Liverpool forward line who, who would uh, <laughs> who would fit in very nicely at Real Madrid. Just saying yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, don't, I don't think you can say that for one second, but you look at it. <laughs> Mohamed Salah and his contract situation, you think that looks like that's on Real Madrid signing over, isn't it? Or yeah, Madrid yeah. signing from, from our sort of generation where they did make Galactico signings. But that could be one. And then you look, you know, do they go for someone like Darwin Nunez from Benfica or is he just sort of the, the flavour of the month? But um, that'll be another one that definitely would have a look at. But, um, but no, it's, I think it's all been about putting all these chips on Mbappe. If they don't end up getting Mbappe, then... Um, 
Yeah, I think Demar will have a bit of egg in their face, to be honest with you. Indeed, yeah. What do you think the future holds for Carlo Ancelotti? Because it seems bizarre to say it for a, a coach who has, has gone there and pretty much won the La Liga title, got them to the, the semi-finals of the Champions League. But there seems to be a little bit of uncertainty about him, a little bit of... Uh, I don't know the fans just don't really seem like they are wholly convinced by him and his style of football, do they? Yeah, they're, they're a tough crowd to please, aren't they? The Real Madrid fans, I think, to be fair, <laughs> yeah, and we know that more than most of the yeah. Real Madrid fans that we have in our office. But, um, and speaking to one of them, um, you know, a man called Alanjo, he, he's he he wants Santoli to go, like, like I mentioned earlier, after the El Clasico, after, after El Clasico, should I say, and um. And I, and I think that there's any time Real Madrid don't sort of turn up to games, that, that a lot of this pressure comes on Ancelotti. But I think that would be the case of any manager, because like you said, it's very hard to please. But I think you mentioned about the style of player. That that sort of is something that's maybe a bit of a sticking point, because as we saw in, in, in Paris when they, you know they lost one 0 to PSG in the first leg of Champions League, Real Madrid do have a tendency on Ancelotti to to sit deep and, and try and play on the counter attack and, and and try and remain solid. And it's not something that Real Madrid have wanted to build themselves on in the past. They want this sort of uh, the best players in the world playing for them and, and to play you know champagne kind of liquid football. And and that's but to be to be fair, Real Madrid have impressed at times this season when they have attacked and they, you know they are. They're scoring plenty of goals at the moment. They scored, scored three in each of the last two games, and it's maybe a little harsh. But I think as Ancelotti, he could end up doing the double. He could end up winning <laughs> the league and win the Champions League, and you still wonder whether that might not be enough to keep, yeah. keep his job. Yeah. It's mental, but, um, <laughs> but it still wouldn't surprise me as well. And I wonder whether he might just end up going back to Everton and doing it all full circle. That'd be nice <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned earlier that Barcelona, they beat Real Sociedad on Thursday evening in a, a, a bruising encounter. Uh, that means that Real Madrid won't be crowned champions this weekend. Uh, Barca are in action again this weekend against Rayo Vallecano. Uh, Danny Alves was interviewed after that game on Thursday night and he, he made a little joke in his post-match interview that, uh, that Real Madrid are lucky Barcelona didn't get the shit together sooner this season because you know they might have really threatened them for the title. Do you think there's, there's something in that? And do you think Barca will be right back in the saddle for the, the, the challenger for the title? Again next season, <laughs> I look at a fair few Real Madrid fans here uh, replies to to that quote when it got posted, and um, yeah, they, they enjoyed it. They they enjoyed that a lot, um, and you know, they, they, let's say they weren't quaking their boots about Barcelona. But, um, <laughs> I, I think there should be a lot of optimism and positivity about in the Barcelona fan base heading into next season. And you know, okay, this has come off the back of a week where they've been knocked out of the Europa League um, at home in a tie they really should have won and also been beaten by a team struggling in the bottom of the league who, in, in Caddy who had not who had not even played a lot of their first team first choice players but up until then from from when Xavi came in and obviously he arrived when they were you know, ninth in the league and the idea of finishing the top four looked at a, a, a faraway dream should we say and maybe in a pipe dream um, they, they've really improved and they've really impressed and, and obviously what the business they did in January has helped with that and bringing in Pierre Abamyang and, and Ferran Torres as uh, impressed the parts as well. Uh, though he's, you know, maybe getting a bit of a unfair stick from some parts of Barcelona's uh, supporter base as well. But there was a lot of a lot of hope clinging on to Barcelona next season. And obviously, you know, let's see what they do in the summer as well. And we'll talk about that in a second. But what they've done, you know, since he's come in, 
they've gone from ninth to second, um, unbeaten, I think it's the last 14 away games now, and suddenly, there were talks a couple of weeks ago about Barcelona maybe even challenging for the title again, and, and <laughs> when we sort of had looked talk about them in November, that was nowhere near that, nowhere yeah, near it at all. And, looking um, to get top six at that point, weren't they, it yeah, seemed, yeah. Of course, obviously, they have the embarrassing Champions League exit as well. So, Shaki deserves you know a lot of credit, and these these players do as well because they are sort of okay in part. It's not working to to an extent in terms of defensively or something. They look a bit ropey, but they obviously want to play this sort of four three three and and look closer towards Guardiola's um, Barcelona than you know previous Barcelona's that come since then, and, and and it's getting closer to that. And it's not necessarily is completely. Tick attacker, let's say, but it's Xavi's got this style. He's got his identity. He wants him to to um, conform to, and they they look like doing it. And and in certain games, I'd say you know Valencia um, went to Valencia and put four past them, and the very impressive against Athletic Club at home. They've looked really, really good and really um, really strong attacking. And you know, last night that was maybe a different um, sort of part of the way they play it was, it was they sort of used the word bruising encounter they had to battle for it and they get an early goal but then after that they they, they weren't all impressive let's say but they hung on for it and, and maybe I'm being harsh by criticism uh, criticising them defensively there but last night they were strong enough at the back and had to deal with a lot of injuries at the back as well and still came through and I think if you're a Barcelona fan you get you know the end of the season and they should finish in the top four now and qualify for the Champions League again. And I think you could go to sort of rest in the summer and, and look forward to next season. Think we should get a little bit closer to Real Madrid than we did this season. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned Aubameyang. He's got nine goals in 11 appearances. That's uh, been a really incredible signing, one that I think a lot of people weren't really sure whether it would work out or not, but it's gone very well so far. Looking ahead to the summer for them, what, what do you think they still need to uh, to improve on in terms of playing personnel? I mean, I'm not sure how they are going to manage to do any business in the summer because it's <laughs> still a club that is um, strangled by financial debt and um, and having to sort of clear the books there. So, so let's see, let's see. But let, let, let's sort of talk about them in terms of you know they can't do business. Let, let's say the Spotify money is going <laughs> to give them money to play with. Um, I mean, defensively, you know, I've sort of touched upon it there. They they have to have a look there. Um, you know, there's been a lot of links to Andres Christensen and Antonio Rudiger from Chelsea. I think the former sounds like from a lot of reports that that probably could get done, and that obviously comes in on a free. And I think that helps them. But I wouldn't say that's necessarily. The, the number one guy you should get for your, for your sense yeah, of I've never been totally convinced by him, really. No, no, obviously, we're talking about a mistake in the, in the week against Arsenal, didn't <laughs> yeah. he? Yeah. And he's, he's solid enough, but I, you know, I've only ever really seen him in a three at the back, and when he's played in the two at the back, he has looked a bit, bit shaky. And I always wonder about the, you know, defenders like that. Um, example, Harry Maguire, but let's not uh, talk about him now. But, um, <laughs> I, I, do, you know, I think they do need to sort, you know, uh, defensively. I mean, they've had to bring a 37-year-old Dani Alves out of retirement pretty much. Um, um, you know, he's won in, in Brazil and, and not, not doing too much there uh, for his team there. Um, and he's had to play him at right-back because they've not been convinced by Dest at right-back. Um, so I think that's something they need to have a look at. Jordi Alves not getting any younger and they need to sort of yeah, there's been a lot of talk about bringing Alex Grimaldo in from Benfica and, and Jose Gaia from Valencia to try and uh, be Alba's replacement. And I think that needs to get sorted this summer. Um, I think with the way Xavi wants them to play, having wing-backs who can 
get up and down that right and left hand side and contribute more in attacking phase is is important to them and I think they need to sort that out. Um, that's that's the main thing for me this summer. They'll, they'll probably want to go get something shiny up front and and improve them in in, a, in an attacking sense. But I think the one thing more than anything that Barcelona and Xavi can do this summer is improve that back line and, and, and make that a bit more sort of let's say not say younger but, but quicker and a bit more flexible than, than they have right now. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like they will have some some Champions League money to play with if all if all goes to plan in the final few weeks of the season. They they steal that top four spot. Uh there's still a few other teams in contention for the Champions League places though, isn't there? How how is that shaping up at the moment? Well it looked particularly tasty after um after the weekend's results because there was something like you know five points separating second from from sixth, and so the, the midweek results have, have, have mixed up a little bit, and it's it's not looking as tight as that. But you know, I, I, there's still plenty of games left, I and mean, you know, what sort of eighteen, fifteen points still to play for uh, for some teams. I think Barcelona still have a game in hand um, on the four or five teams still in contention. She would say if they win that, they should be pretty much safe on. You know, they've got 63 now. They should end at the 66, let's say, if they win their game in hand. Mm. But um, you're looking at, you know, Sevilla, Fesco, Madrid, Real Betis and Real Sociedad as being the other teams involved. And it's still up for the best. Sevilla win last night, um, as, as we record this, they won 3-2 against the Valentin. I think that's, they needed that because they've been drawing a lot of games recently and, and suddenly a season that looked like they were going to challenge for the title turned into looking over their shoulder at the top four. That that should do them, but it's one of them where another weekend results could could change this completely, and it's and Real Betis will be looking at it and thinking the form that they've been in this season, and okay, maybe not recently, but certainly they've been one of the most impressive teams in Spain all season, and and they will feel that they deserve to get into the top four, and they've been pretty much in the top four up until recently, um, all campaign and set out of it again, and it's it's one of them where you're looking at Atletico and. Uh, if I were them, I'd be fearing for for their place more than anything else, particularly mm. because you know what you know, watch them on Monday nights against Granada and, and they struggle to get over the line there and end up drawing nil nil, and that's been the case. That's been the case a lot of their season as well. They're playing against a lot of teams down at the bottom, um, and they particularly struggle against teams from sort of you know fifteenth, sixteenth down, particularly at home where they, they can't manage to break them down, and and you just wonder whether their legs are starting to sort of you know. I feel a lot more heavier and steam. Uh, you just want to uh, look at the sort of their fixtures left. You know, it's you could say, oh, maybe they got the easiest running um, after you know they've got a fatter club and then Real Madrid. But after that, Elche, um, I'm looking at that, thinking they should win that. But then the, the last two games, they actually end up playing Sevilla and Real Sociedad, and you wonder if it's not sorted by then. I would worry for them not getting over the line there and severe at home. And then I think Sashad's away on the last day. If they don't end up sorting that out by then and they, they end up leading three, you know, four or six points from those last two games, I'd be favourable for their place more than anything else. But I think up until then, Barcelona and Sevilla may feel a lot more safer, particularly Barcelona. Yeah, yeah. Well, Betis, they lost uh, to Elche in midweek. They rested players because they've got the Copa del Rey final this weekend. They're up against Valencia in Seville on Saturday evening. How do you see that game going? Yeah, it's when when they have, you know, obviously the semi-finals happened a fair few months ago now. And, and at the time, there were two teams, Real Madrid and, and Valencia, that were were in particularly you know, well, Valencia weren't necessarily in great form, but they performed really well in the Copa del Rey, and um, and Real Betis were, were in banging form, and 
led by a man who will be close to your heart, mate, who is um, hit by a Pell Greeley, who <laughs> wears really nice tracksuits nowadays. He well. does, doesn't he? They're great, those Kappa tracksuits. I really want one. Well, yeah, gorgeous, isn't it? I mean, I feel like a sort of a, a mafia boss in them with a one. Go for it yourself, mate. But no, I, I think it's going to be a particularly interesting final in the way that you've got two teams that are sort of definitely from different schools of thought um, and managers from different schools of thought and Pellegrini and uh, Jose Bordelas. I mean, Real Betis, you know, very sort of like being expansive and, and when it when it pays off and you've got players like Nabil Fakir and Sergio Canellas who on their day are incredible to watch and, and really beautiful and something for the football purist, should we say, yeah. whereas Valencia are definitely the, the contrast to them and <laughs> Like sort of uh, getting up people's noses and and uh, making it horrible for for teams to play their football, and you just wonder in finals. Most of the time, when it comes to cup finals, I think it's more the, the style of Valencia playing adopt tends to sort of come out more the, the way the betters play. Um, particularly if Valencia end up scoring an early goal, and suddenly the game is about Real Betis trying to break down Valencia, which which won't make it particularly, maybe not interesting to watch, but um, it, it could be fascinating in terms of a tactical battle. And I think that's what it's going to be more than anything else. Like, who, who is going to come out on top? Is it going to be sort of um, the beauty of Betis' play or will it be the, the ugly, um, potentially two, three red cards um, in extra time kind of Valencia style, let's see. Um, <laughs> yeah. so it, it'd be one to watch, definitely. Um, fascinating. Oh, yeah. But if Valencia do get an early goal, then um, I would say maybe... <laughs> Maybe don't expect where if I was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind who wins this game, really, but if the, if I had to pick a team, I would probably go for Betis, and the reason is it's going to be Joaquin's farewell, isn't it? He's uh, he's retiring the summer, 40-year-old. He was he was a, a young whippersnapper when they won the tournament in 2005 last time when they won the when they last lifted the copper, so it'd be a nice uh, nice way for him to to bow out. Uh, let's have a look at the, uh, the relegation battle now because that's looking pretty interesting too. Um, there's a few teams involved. You've got Levante, Alaves, Mallorca, Cadiz, uh, Ito, Carrancas, Granada. How's that shaping up? Yeah, it's been the, the midweek results have sort of um, started to maybe solidify that, should we say. And, and okay, there, there are five games left, so there's still a little bit of time for, for things to change. But it's not looking great for Levante and, uh, and Alaves and Levante. You know, we mentioned Sevilla earlier. You know, lose three two to Sevilla last night, and Jose Morales misses a penalty in that game. And you saw by his reaction and the rest of Levante's players' reaction at the end that that felt like it was it. That felt like that was probably the death knell on them. And yeah. and it's it's a shame really because we you know they they've been down the bottom all season. They've had a really poor season, but then recently. You know, end up winning four out of their last nine, ten games, and suddenly the, the great escape looked on um, when they won. You know, one game all season up until December. So it's it it, it looks like that that early season form has, has ended up doing them in the end. Um, and, I, and I think they look pretty much done. And same for Alaves. But after that, you've got end up. I think I think you've sort of got three teams going into to one place, and and one has to go. And and, and all three of them over the last two games have shown enough reason. For them to stay in the division as well, and Mallorca have had uh, Javier Aguirre come in recently, and he's sort of a uh, 
they've had a bit of a new manager bounce, end up winning two out of the last five games under him, and, and, and that's that's <clears throat> that's helped them somewhat. I mean, they're in the driver's seat as we, as we speak now, and um, but that, obviously that could change. And could they end up going to yeah, could they go end up going to to Barcelona and, and picking up a result which no one expected? And, and you wonder, you know, have they got another one of them left in them? Um, and, and the thing is with Granada, we sort of you know, Ayrton Granca obviously be well-known enough to, to people interested in English football as well because he's at Middlesbrough and he's come in and, and they played the Fatico in midweek and he expected to sort of um, sit back and, and make it hard for a Fatico, which they did, but it, it was, that wasn't necessarily what their game was about and they ended up playing sort of um, you know, a 4-3-3 and, and, and definitely sort of pressed the Fatico more than he expected and, and they looked good. And I think in the end, maybe weren't worth the three points, but they, they certainly... Um, Left a left a glove on Atletico and, and Granada have been a team that I've looked horrendous in recent weeks and should we say since the winter break and and suddenly they've got a bit of a question to stay up and it is fascinating where there are three teams there and, and suddenly you can make a case for each one of them end up uh, going down but also make a case for each of them staying up as well and and, and right now with five games though I, I wouldn't I wouldn't know how to call and and who, who will say. Who will go down, and, and that certainly could be very, very interesting going into the last five games. Joining me now in part two to talk all things Serie A is Andrea Agostinelli. Yeah, hello, Andrea. Hello, it's been a long time. Where, where are you at the moment? I'm in Milano right now. I think it's been two years, or maybe more, since my last time on I the think pod. It, I think it has. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you're uh, you're over in Milan. Were, were you at the at uh, San Siro on Tuesday? No, no, unfortunately not. No. <laughs> or yeah, fortunately not for for you because you are a, <laughs> an AC Milan fan, of course. I wanted to to start by talking about that game in, into uh, were three 0 winners, uh, of course. How disappointing was that for you? I mean, not really because it was uh, quite of expected a great right, performance okay. from Inter. So. Great. Um, first of all, Simone Inzaghi did a great job uh, putting Correa from from the start uh, has been the the key because he played Lautaro as a real number nine and Correa more like a number eleven. So this has created a lot of problems to AC Milan, which had a lot of potential chances. Uh, just on the one 0 I think Perisic saved the ball on the line. So. That was like a key moment for the game. But overall, Inter played a very, very great game over an AC Milan that now has to face the consequences. The consequences? Mm. I don't know. <laughs> Do yeah. you understand my word? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while also for me to speak in English, so <laughs> it would take, I would get better over the minutes. You're doing great, mate. Don't worry, don't worry. So, uh, so I mean, looking at the, the the Serie A table, Milan are currently top of the league, but Inter just one point behind them with a game in hand. How are you feeling about the, the Scudetto race at the moment? Oh, it will be a tight race, obviously, until the last day. Uh, I think there has been a lot of uh, changes over the past few weeks, uh, that we will have a clear situation once Inter will get uh, we play against uh, Bologna. It's the game they have in their hand because of the postponement uh, back in January. After that, we we will have a clear situation, but it will be Inter, Milan, and Napoli just slightly behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Napoli are are creeping up. Do you think they can they can get involved in the Scudetto? I think that is it five points behind at the moment. Yeah, they can. I mean, I see them come back because what I've 
Inter, Milan, uh, and Napoli too, they, they struggle to have um, continuity. They have uh, great, uh, great victories, but uh, narrow defeats. And sometimes, for example, Napoli lost uh, at home against uh, Empoli and Spezia. Same Milan, they lost against Spezia. Inter too has lost point uh, against Genoa, which is at the top, at the bottom of the table. So. Uh, it will be a tight race. I think until the last minute, uh, it will be open the race for the Scudetto. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very exciting. You mentioned uh, Lautaro Martinez. He scored two goals in that game on Tuesday. There's been some talk that he, he might be leaving Inter in the summer. Do you think that's still going to happen or, or might they be uh, reconsidering and, and wanting to keep him now? It can happen. He can leave uh, Inter because uh, I'm not talking for myself. Uh, Di Marzio said it uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, on Sky Sport, they say it's not uh, 100% certain that Lautaro will be the Inter striker next year. So it can be sell. It depends, obviously, of by the offer that um, a potential club will present to to Inter. I think we are in the range of uh, 60, 60 million euro, right. maybe more. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cheap for a player of his quality, really. I, I guess. Yeah. The real, I mean, the problem, uh, the fact is that he's not really interested probably in Premier League clubs, uh, mm. which are the clubs with that kind of money. Yeah. Uh, so he would love to join more uh, La Liga club. Mm-hmm. But as of right, right now, either Real Madrid or Barcelona doesn't want to spend, don't want to spend that kind of money. And it only left uh, Atletico Madrid, which is in the race for Paulo Dybala too. Mm. Yeah, he wants to go where the, where the nice weather is, I guess, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> How can you blame him? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, what you might call fair weather players, uh, Romelu Lukaku, there's been some some rumours about him in recent days, about him, him maybe going to Milan, AC Milan. Is, is there any truth to that, do you think? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, if you put it, if you put it in uh, perspective, there, there might be some truth, because uh, Chelsea is in, in a strange position, waiting to understand who is going to buy the club, and what are the plans? At the same time, uh, uh, Elliot, uh, the Elliot founder who owns AC Milan, is selling the club to another founder, a Bahrain founder. And the idea in Italy is that they will have a big budget uh, for the transfer market, not a Manchester City budget, <laughs> to put it in perspective, uh, but a bigger budget rather than the one AC Milan has now. Right. So, but what if if Lautaro leaves Inter? Could could Lukaku maybe head back there? Has there been any talk about that? Do you know? This might be even like probably more true. Yeah. Because there are there have been some talks after the famous interview he gave uh, on Christmas Eve. So then the the information in Italy is that Lukaku is in contact with all the Inter players and with uh, uh, Marotta too. Marotta is the mm-hmm. Inter CEO. Yeah. So. It, it can happen. It's all about money in here because uh, uh, Inter sold him for 100 million overall. I don't think Chelsea will sell him for a uh, less figure. Uh, Lukaku is earning about around 12 million per year. It's money that he can't get in Italy. Yeah. But I, w- I won't close that window. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, let's talk about a little bit about Juventus because they are through to the Coppa Italia final as well after they beat Fiorentina on Wednesday. It's been a, a pretty difficult season for Juve, a pretty difficult return for Max Allegri, but do you think it could still have a happy ending? I think so, but I'm not sure it's the ending that they wanted at mm. the beginning of the season. Yeah. Because if 
again, if you put it in perspective, uh, Juventus would finish fourth uh, and they have the chance to win the Coppa Italia, which is the same result Andrea Pirlo had yeah. last season. And it was labeled as a failure. So I don't know if the same uh, result one year apart can be labeled as a, a success or a great, great ending. Uh, they were really close to join the Scudetto race. Yeah, everything changing when they lost against Inter. Otherwise, they would have entered the Scudetto race and everything would have been changed because uh, before that game, I think they were on a 10-11 game streak without yeah. defeat or maybe even more. Even more. Uh, Vlaovic is an amazing striker, honestly. Uh, fantastic. You see what they have done in Champions League 30 seconds into his debut score. Yeah. So he's, he's a great... He's, they building a good team. They are starting to put together young players and it will be interesting to see what they're going to do on the market. They still have to clinch the Champions League spot. Yeah, I, I thought they, they had it, but I saw that uh, Roma is coming back. Hmm. Uh, Allegri is, is smart enough to uh, say that Fiorentina now is their main challenger just because... <laughs> Just because Fiorentina has a one game in their hand, yeah. and if they win, they will go. Uh, they will um, go up uh, Roma. So they say Fiorentina is their bigger uh, rival, but I think Roma is the one to to look out. Even if the last day Juventus will play against Fiorentina away. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about. You mentioned there Vlahovic. How how has he done since he joined Juve? Has, has the adaptation been been quite smooth since joining from Fiorentina? And and do you think he's really going to be the man that fires Juve back to the back to the top next season? Maybe. No doubt about it. Obviously, yeah. I I agree with Allegri when he says he's uh, Mbappe all on the level. He's an amazing yeah. striker. He, he scored thirteen minutes into his uh, Serie A debut with Juventus. Uh, I. Don't know by exactly the number how how many goals he scored since joining Juventus, but I think he played all the games, uh, always starting them. It's fantastic. Is the reason why they are uh, letting Paulo Dybala go for free this season because they decided that the cornerstone of the future would be Vlaovic and not Dybala as they planned back in October. Yeah. What what happened with with Dybala? Why did it kind of fizzle out so badly with him at Juventus? Do you think? This is going to be a crazy story to reveal, honestly. (laughs) The the, the day that the truth will be told, uh, it will be interesting because they have an agreement and we're talking about around 8, 10 million. It would have been started on January 1st, uh, if I don't get wrong, but they never basically sign it. So Juventus have keep postponing it, postponing it. They probably they've realized that Tipala is not the player that they thought... um, could be many injuries, not so uh, impressive uh, in key games. Uh, so they decided to l- let him go. It's it's a decision that we will see how it's gonna play play out. But honestly, I don't really blame them. Blame them because yeah. they picked, they picked Vlaovic instead of him. So yeah. I can understand. Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it'd be very interesting to see where where Dybala goes next and and whether he can he can get his career back on track because he looked like such a good player. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Sure. Uh, another guy who who it sounds like might be leaving Juve this summer is Giorgio Chiellini. Uh, is it right? He's still got a contract until 2023. So why is he leaving this season? This summer? So the contract uh, has been signed till 2023 because the best case scenario was that Italy would have played in the World Cup. Mm. 
and let's <laughs> not talk about work, that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so without without the World Cup, it doesn't make too much sense for Kelly right. to stay in Serie A until 2023. Let's see how he goes because Kelly is a player really respected in the dressing room uh, in Juventus board too because back uh, in March 2020 during the pandemic, he was the one who led the team to cut their salaries. Um, yeah, the rumors is that uh, if he leaves Juventus, he will be for an MLS team. No details about where he's going to go. Uh, Let's see, because he first of all he have to resign uh, from Juventus. He have to cut his uh, actual deal, yeah. and from then on, uh, let's see. But la- like this is the the most likely scenario. He he leaves Juventus and goes to MLS. Right, that'll be uh, be very interesting to see him see him play in that league. Uh, we've got a big game in Serie A this weekend. Roma coming into it in, in some good form. Uh, Jose Mourinho is going back to Inter, where he's uh, he's a bit of a legend. Do you think Roma can cause a surprise and beat Inter there? Uh, not sure, not sure, honestly, because <laughs> no, because Roma has the Leicester game after that, yeah, and Conference League is the is their real target for this right. season. It's more for a kind of Mourinho to be the first manager ever to win the Conference League, the first ever to win Conference League, Europa <laughs> League, Champions League. There's some history in it. Ah, okay, yeah. So yeah, and. I can tell you that Mourinho is back at 100% when it comes to talking to the media, <laughs> provoke uh, enemies. Uh, but it will be it will be a good game, honestly, because Roma is in a good shape. They draw against Napoli in the um, the last day of the, of the championship. Yeah. Uh, Zagnolo is out for an injury, but he's not um, a key player anymore. Tammy Abraham is scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. So it will be a great game, but Inter have regained their their form. They are playing. They played a good games in the last two three games. Coppa Italia and Serie A. So it's gonna be really balanced. But I see Inter come out as victory. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, it's gonna be a very interesting game. I'm looking forward to watching that one. <laughs> Let's uh, let's finish this week by touching uh, a little bit on the relegation battle. If indeed there is a relegation battle, because Genoa, Venezia and Salernitana are all tied on 22 points in the bottom three of the table. Cagliari are six points ahead of them in 17. Do you think any of them can make a great escape or is, is the relegation places pretty much sealed off at this point? Let's see after this week, because uh, Genoa plays against Cagliari. Uh, Salernitana is on a two-victory streak. They never did during this season, so they wow. basically reopen, uh, reopen the race. They have a game in their end. They played on, I think, on Wednesday against Venezia. So everything can change. And Salernitana, unsurprisingly, they are playing really good. They have in Davide Nicola a mastermind in uh, avoid the relegation. I think he saved uh, the last three teams he coached, wow. something like that. So he's the so, Italian yeah. Sam Allardyce. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's all, uh, it's all anger and fury, trying to motivate <laughs> players by screaming at them. Uh, Walter Sabatini, the sporting director, is a, a wizard when it comes to find talents somewhere. He found this um, Brazilian midfielder, Ederson. He has already mm. been linked to PSG for $25 million. I think that's just a rumor, but yeah. overall he's a box-to-box midfielder that can 
play in Serie A. I see him staying in Serie A. So let, let's see how, ro- how it uh, rolls out. But this week will be a key week for the relegation zone. That's all for the European Tour podcast this week. Thank you to Joel and Andrea for joining me and bringing their interesting insights. We're going to be back again next week and it's the Champions League, Europa League and Conference League semi-finals. So we're going to be talking all about that. If you want to get in touch with any of our podcasts in the meantime, the email address to do so is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Have a nice weekend and we'll catch you next week. Yeah.